This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. There's nobody been under that car since it came from the factory. That thing is clean. I don't buy that, Irv. Stuff is in that car. Well, you find it. I can't. Listen, I ripped everything out of there except the rocker panels. Come on, Irv. What the hell is that? Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. You probably know this already, but in case you don't, the premise of the show is that Mike and I, who have known each other forever, watch movies separately, but we don't talk about them until we're on the podcast. We talk about them for the first time. Now, today we're doing a movie that I cannot believe we have never just sat down and had a conversation about, even like in a car or getting food somewhere. We've never had a long conversation about this movie. What are we doing today, Mike? The French Connection. We are doing The French Connection, 1971, directed by William Friedkin, written by Robin Moore and Ernest Tidyman. And do you know what else Ernest Tidyman wrote? I don't. He wrote the Shaft novels and co-wrote the screenplay for Shaft, the original film. That makes sense. Which makes perfect sense, right? So in part one, we always talk about our overall take on the film. So either of us could go first, but Mike, we just watched this again for the millionth time, getting ready for the show today. When you watch it this time, what struck you overall about The French Connection? This movie has the perfect structure. It has actually the quintessential movie structure where you have a character who wants something. He's he's seeking something. He's literally going to chase it down. All the infrastructure of his life is in his way to chase it down and you have all the cleverness on the part of the villains or the, or, you know, the quote bad guys that he's chasing. But I think that what the movie does really well is that the cops that get in their way, right? They're right. They're not dirty, Harry cops. It's obvious if you watch a dirty Harry movie that the cops that are in Harry Callahan's way are wrong. This is a question mark. It's like, how wrong actually are they? Right. Um, you, Popeye is a great hero, but he's got he's got blood on his hands. But he is he is very likable 
in the way that you can watch him for 90 minutes, two hours, right? How villainous really are the villains, right? The villains in this movie, yes, they move heroin, but you know why they move heroin? Because they're they're old men, they want their marriages to work, and they want to buy their wife, you know, ni- nice things. So it's it's complicated in the sense that it understands the traditional formula of what makes movies like this good. But none of that, it, it doesn't wear any of that on its surface because really what it is on its surface is a really great chase movie. Uh, and I, I just think it's it's pretty much perfect. It's funny because the guy that plays his boss, is, of course, is the real Popeye Doyle. And when he takes um, Popeye off the case and is yelling at him because you haven't gotten a collar on this, he's not wrong. Like, he's not wrong. We are used to the cop's boss being wrong because we know that the cop is like, no, no, I know this guy's dirty. We've seen that in a million movies. But and that's got to be overcome. And similarly, the other guy from the the Fed who says last time you had a hunch, a cop cost his life and, and Popeye comes after him. He's not wrong either. Like, the, the, like Popeye expects them to just go along with him because he thinks he thinks that this guy he saw in a bar one night with Cloudy, he just thinks this guy's dirty. Now, it turns out that he's right. But that's only because we're in on the secret. Yeah, he's all his hunches are correct, but it doesn't necessarily vindicate him. It's it's right. He's he's correct. He's right. It makes the movie work. And the fact that he needs to push off some of that infrastructure, he's got to just kind of do it anyway. Great. And it and it runs the movie and I'm on his side. But I'm but you can't 100 percent be on Popeye's side. You can like him because he's likable, but you but you can't take in his perspective because, you know, in a sense that he's wrong. Right. One man should not be allowed to be the police force. And I think that's really what separates this out from, say, a Dirty Harry movie, which I I would call its closest comparison. Right. So. When I watched it again, one of the things that struck me was we just did a couple of weeks ago, we did the new Mission Impossible movie, Dead Reckoning, part one. And when I was watching this again, I was struck. I, and this actually made me laugh at how much this movie is the complete opposite of like a Mission Impossible movie or a James Bond movie, right? Like everything in Mission Impossible is glamorous. Um, they go to exciting places. The people are all really good looking. The stunts are all choreographed down to the nanosecond right this one is it's dirty it's clumsy looking it's beautifully so right i mean the the locales they go to are just like an alley standing across the street watching people eat i mean in, in those movies um those genre movies you know something's wrong and the guy's got to come in and fix it whether that's ethan hunter james bond or something and it gets done and like everything works like the tech always works like tom cruise's earpiece never shorts out but in this one you know, they're going through the car and he's like, well, did you go through the runner boards? Oh no. And he's like, come on, man. Like, like Benji or Luther would never, they would go through the whole car. And it, there's all these false starts. There are things that like happen out of nowhere. Like when the sniper starts the car chase, right? When he's walking back with his groceries and the sniper shoots him, right? That that kind of breaks the movie rule because it's supposed to be, it, it's supposed, they're supposed to be like, well, who's the sniper? And like, does it, like, where has he been? We're supposed to see the sniper up there already. It just comes out of nowhere. And also you mentioned before, like Frog One, like Fernando Ray, he belongs. Isn't he a great Bond villain? Doesn't he even look like a Bond villain? Mm-hmm. And talks like a Bond villain, by the way. 
Yeah, and he's charming and he's soft spoken. He like he knows which one is the salad fork, right? Popeye does not know which one is the salad fork. And Popeye's rough and he's angry and he's loud. There's that great bit where like Popeye's eating pizza out of a bag and he's across the street and you see what like Frog One is eating at the restaurant and they're going through every course. And it's just so funny that I love how Fernando Ray looks like a villain from Mission Impossible who got dropped like the Google guy into 1970 New York City and said, okay, walk around for a while. Popeye is just that loose screw that the universe threw into this plot, which makes him effective again from from the filmic point of view. It makes the movie run, but it it doesn't have the same smoothness as a big budget motion picture. Like and, and and the I think that the thing that really caps that is the car chase, which of course this movie is is famous for, and the accidents in this car look like actual high speed accidents right again if you watched a dirty dirty harry movie you watch some other movie i think what a critic would say is sure but it doesn't happen like that in real life um popeye's car accidents while he's chasing down this one man who again who because it's personal right it's it's not there's no sense of justice in it it's personal he's chasing it for the same reason that a, a dog chases a fox because he's supposed to uh that that five minute clip of him just hitting other cars uh, is an advertisement for why they should stop doing high speed chases. But at the same time, it works from the narrative perspective because, because you, you want him to pursue his objective, but that doesn't mean you can agree with it conceptually. Right. And you want him to catch the sniper, not because that sniper is connected to a French drug ring. You want him to get the sniper because he took a shot at Gene Hackman and then Gene Hackman goes, you know, out, out of control trying to catch him. Yeah. Th- that's, It's the dramatic unfolding of the phrase, you better not miss. Welcome back to part two. Of course, we always talk about our big scenes or key moments. Dan, what's your moment? My moment is when Gene Hackman sees Fernando Ray on the subway waving to him when they do that in and out of the train car over and over. But I want to lead up to why that's my moment. I mean, it's just a great moment anyway. Like, you know, it's just great. But it reminded me this time, who is Popeye like in literature? Popeye is very much like a character in a book that you and I have read several times that we both love. Who is he? Ahab? He's Captain Ahab. Very good. Outstanding. He's Captain Ahab, right? He's relentless. He's, you know, he's obsessed. Um, he's got to get, he's got to get the white whale. He's got to get him. And everyone tells him, you know, you're chasing a shadow or who cares? You don't have any collars, but he's got this gut feeling, right? So with it, with, the French connection, Popeye's got this gut feeling. In Moby Dick, Ahab has what we called in another episode, the splinter in his mind. He's got this obsession that he's got to strike back at the universe. And of course, this is the way of, of Popeye striking back at the universe. And that wave through the window is like when they spot the white whale for the first time. It's there. It's right there. But Ahab can't get it. And you reminded me earlier that, of course, one of the most thrilling sequences in Moby Dick is when you get to the end, and it's the chase first day, the chase second day. In three days, they chase the whale. And that, of course, is like the car chase, right? It's exciting. It's high octane. He's going to find this thing. And why he wants to get that thing is really interesting. Like why Popeye wants to go out on his night off 
with Cloudy and sit in a bar and look at other people. And he says, come on, let's just stay up. Remember, he says, let's just step for, for, you know, just to see what happens. And Rashida's like, it's like eight hours later. Like, I want to go to bed. Like, he's got this, Popeye has this obsession to kind of find out other people's dirt and, and see what's wrong with the universe. Just kind of like Ahab who wants to fix the universe. And I think it's kind of funny that that wave is like, just like when they see the white whale for the first time, it's right there, but, he, but he's powerless to do anything about it. Yeah, I think that... Popeye's ability to know when people or things are dirty is something innate to him as a character and becoming a policeman is sort of just a way in life to justify that instinct for for that for that sense and also for violence. It's like a serial killer who gets the dream job of being like a mafia hitman. Some something something like that, right? So he just he knows what people are up to or he can sense their their motives or the degree to which their public persona is a cover. And the only way to make that a living is for him to be a police officer in a 1970s drama. So he is. Because there's not a line in the movie or a syllable uttered where Popeye says something about drugs, about like why they shouldn't be on the street. Or justice. Or like, yeah. Well, actually, we, uh, actually, you know what? Yeah, this, we do get the car accident scene where the, 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 they see the car accident and the kid overdosed and like we found his works in the bed. So I guess that's a way to show you the effects of the drugs coming into New York. But he's not like he's not like the carry nation of heroin or something. No, he he really just he wants to take it down because he saw something move. He, he's just got predator sense. Something moved in front of him. So he needs to chase it. But the but the point of that is that great movies are built on the chase. And so. This movie, The French Connection, is sort of like it's like an experiment to see how much of the actual justice uh, or ethics you could remove and the chase would still work. And I, I think it works. So what's your moment? I really like when Popeye and his partner uh, track the couple in their disguises on the next morning, right? Because just because it's without justice doesn't necessarily mean it's without it's without some kind of vindication uh, or or purpose. And so uh, watching them go through the motions of what they think is slick, but not knowing that the police are watching them, right? Some, some of Popeye's moves are great. Some of Popeye's moves are terrible, right? You th Again, in, in some other kind of slick drama, what would happen if your, your man kept getting off the subway and getting back on you? What you're thinking to yourself as an audience member, because you've been trained to is, I wonder what the trick is for this one, you know? I'll, but it turns out that the trick is just to kind of not get stuck outside the doors before the train starts moving but of course he does so again just 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 as ethically he's sometimes right and sometimes wrong um his police work uh his police work is sometimes right and sometimes wrong right he's based off the hunch he's just kind of instinctual but when other people say that he's rough around the edges or he has no idea what he's doing or you you can't do that they're right and I like him saying, I want to do that is also right. Yeah, that's great how he actually he's right because he starts with Sal Boca and his girlfriend or his wife. And then they, they go through all the motions, which is hilarious because it, the movie shows you how long that takes and how clumsy it can be and how you go down these cold sex. And I just laughed at myself because in James Bond or in, in Mission Impossible, you know, um, if Tom Cruise wants to know who somebody is, what does he do? He calls somebody or just says the name and then you get the information. 
Yes. And then Luther types it and then he sees it in his, his electronic sunglasses and you just get it. But like what it's like to find out who somebody, because remember he sees Gene Hackman sees the guy who funded the previous drug import. And he thinks that that guy's dirty because Sal went to that hotel and just all this waiting around and sitting there and putting the hat in the back of the car. So other cops know that you're, that you're working undercover, you're on a stakeout. You get such a sense of time being spent and, and how long it takes as opposed to now or in slicker movies, like you said, where you get the instant information. And this movie is very much about like how you acquire information and, and what you're going to do with it. Like if, if somebody goes into the same hotel, what does that mean? Well, you know, Popeye and Cloudy kind of figure out what it means. Yeah. And it, it's, it's ungratifying to a degree that you would think that it would disrupt the movie, but somehow it is the element of the movie. It's, it's exactly like what you were saying about how grimy New York goes in this movie and how they go out of their way to make it appear grimy. You would think that that would be ungratifying to the extent that the movie wouldn't work, but I, I think it has something to do with take trying to take the ethical heart out of this movie, right? To what extent could a wrong man be right if he were chasing the right man? And this movie says, no, the, it still works. Welcome back. So in part three, we always talk about the ending or the title or the key takeaways. Dan, what do you make of the final scene of this movie? Well, whoever does it, did the production design to find that factory with dripping water and puddles and like th that person, you know, deserves a raise. That's a great scene. There's a lot to say about the ending. First is that we were all told since we started caring about movies and books, you're supposed to begin in media res, right? Which means what? Right in the middle of things. Right in the middle of things that goes, you know, back to Aristotle, right? Yeah, we've talked, you know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to enter a scene late and leave it early. You start in the middle. This movie ends in meteorists. Like we get, he goes, I know that I know frog one is in that room and he goes into the room and you hear the gun go off. And then you start to get the title cards of who got away with what and who got sentenced to what. So I think that lends it that you said before, like that documentary kind of feel is that you don't get the court scene with Frog One. It's just the guy got away. And of course, you're like, what do you mean the guy got away? Like, you know, imagine watching Goldfinger and at the end, like they like, where's Goldfinger? I can't find him. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you, that's impossible to imagine. So the fact that he gets away is great. And also, how about you said before about can a wrong man do the right thing? Talk about being a wrong man when he shoots the Fed and just keeps going. And, and even Roy Scheider pauses. No, it's the guy that he previously had the fist fight with. Right. Who, who called right. him out on the, the death of other Feds and other cops. And there's there's a sense in which th this movie is not symbolic really to a, a great degree. I mean, I, I think it's the, the movie kind of has its bones on the surface in the sense that I, I do actually think it's about the chase, right? What you just said uh, is kind of a double down about it being about the chase. It starts when the chase starts. It has all the unglamorous parts of the chase. It includes the chase. It does not give you any conclusion or sense that the, that the, that the chase is over. Um, Going back to part two, it's like the chase in Moby Dick, because of course, Ahab finally gets close to the whale, but then he dies, right? And at the end, that's where, you know, the Moby Dick is still out there, and so is Frog One. But the, the only symbol that you can think of here is that the, the Fed is the voice of reason. And what right. Popeye does before the conclusion of this movie is he silences the voice of reason forever. And then runs into a place far away from the camera. Remember, he's at the other end and we see him go into that room. He makes up like a right hand turn. He goes into that room 
and, and then you hear his gun go off and the credits come on. So the first time you see this movie, or even the hundredth time, it's it's jarring, isn't it? Like like talk about no closure. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I it's it's a stripping away of the things that make movies movies to see what the audience will tolerate, right? It's well, would you would you tolerate a chase if the city were grimy? Yes. Would you tolerate it if the guy was not a hero? Yes. Would you tolerate it and rewatch it again and think it's a classic if I didn't show you the the conclusion, right? What if I stripped away all moral, ethical, and narrative satisfaction from this movie, but just gave you a great chase? It would still work. Yeah. And the chase gets, of course, pinned down into one building, and then it gets down to one floor, and then it goes down into one room. And it still works. So one of the jokes we say on the show all the time is it's like, this shouldn't work on paper. If somebody wrote this today, somebody would want to add on another half an hour of showing the, the you know, what happened to Popeye when he went back to the station and, and what was the fallout from him shooting the Fed and killing the voice of reason. But you don't like this movie doesn't end. It stops. It just stops. Yeah, because I think that when Popeye acts without a sense of consequence, the movie follows him and it doesn't give you the consequences. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about the French connection. You could follow us on Twitter at 15MIN. Actually, you can follow us on X now, Mike. People can follow us on X. Let us know what we should watch. Give us requests. We take all requests. And again, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.